Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into the conversation between Jesus and Martha to begin with in John chapter number 11, beginning at verse number 17, and working our way down until Jesus asked that all-important question to Martha at about verse number 26, do you believe? It's so vitally important for us to connect with the heart of Jesus in this moment, with the life of Martha in this moment, and to understand that all of us have that, that place that we have to come to, uh, that, that essential pathway that leads us to that place that is the decision that we are truly going to believe in Jesus. You know, so many of his disciples said that they believed in him, said that they would follow him. Uh, even at this point, when they, when they were coming down to Bethany to visit with Mary and Martha and to be with Lazarus after his passing, even remember yesterday, Thomas, he said, let's go with him and die with him. They believed themselves to be full believers. But when reality struck and when the Romans came and when the soldiers were seeking whom they could devour to capture Jesus, they all fled. They all ran. They said that they believed and they acted like they believed. And I think a lot of people in churches today are just that way. We say we believe. We act like we believe. We, we may even live like we believe, but when times get hard and when things go wrong and when, when it just doesn't feel like things are going to work out, we're the first ones to bail on Jesus. We're the first ones to bail on the house of God and the, and the work of Christ and the, the sharing of the gospel in this world. We're the first ones to bail. Well, we're in a good company, right? I mean, the same thing happened with Peter as he denied Jesus three times at that burn barrel. The same thing happened with those disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, took tail and ran, fleeing from the Romans to not be captured alongside of Jesus. I mean, the same thing happened with so many other people that we could mention throughout Scripture that, that when times really came to a a reality. That's why I'm always using that word, reality. It's because for a lot of people in Christianity today, that they're not living a reality. They're, they're living a fairy tale in their own heart of a God that they constructed out of their own mind and a, and a Savior and a Jesus that they, that they built from their own thinking or from their own denominational point of view. But they don't have the biblical God. They don't have the biblical Jesus. They don't have a biblical faith. And when that faith is tested and when that faith is, is tried, it crumbles and all falls apart and they run. They really don't know. And that, that's a reality that we face in our society today. So we, we really want to see ourselves in Martha. I mean, really pay attention to the, the, the things that are being said by Martha because of the fact that no matter what she thought she understood and no matter what she thought she believed, it wasn't real. But Jesus was really there. And Jesus is as real as it gets. It's going to be an exciting day then. So let's get to the word in prayer and then we'll start off with our reading. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done for us this far in the week. We are grateful for the privilege that we have had in being able to take care of your children and be a servant to those who are serving your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being called the children of God. 
being received by you, Father, through your only begotten Son, empowered and sealed by your Spirit. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see these scriptures in this moment, that you give us ears to hear, for we've got so many inputs of the world already within us today. We've got so many different things that we've been involved with today. We've been involved with work. We've been involved out on the farm. We've been involved with the animals. We've been involved with with traveling. We've been involved with all kinds of of Facebook and YouTube and, and Twitter and all these other Instagram and TikTok and all this other junk. We've, we've been involved with television and television news. We're, we're wrapped up in our hearts right now by the situation that may be unfolding between Russia and the Ukraine and, and all the things that are transpiring in this world. But Father, all of that has kept us from being observant of who you really are. And none of those events can, can take place outside of what is to transpire according to your will. Nothing can happen unless you allow for it to happen and for your purpose and for your good pleasure, Lord. We know that nothing can, can happen unless the Master ordains it. Father, can the clay say to the potter who forms it, why have he made me this way? Well, the reality of the events of this world or the reality of the, the things of our own personal lives, we must step back from and we must realize that you are God and that you are in control. Help us now to receive this truth. Give us privilege, Lord, to unplug from everything else but this moment. And let us, Father, rejoice in the power of of Jesus and his resurrection. We'll thank you and praise you for what you now do in us, with us, and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Up here in North Dakota, in the particular area that we're living in, in the Martin community and all around us, from rather Butte down or out to the west or down to Fezzedin and Carrington out to their east, and all around us, there are a lot of people who come from a German descendancy that, that moved into Russia, and, and we also have several that are from Ukraine that live around us. And so this is something very personal, very close to us here in the Dakotas, for there are many families that we have here in, in our community that we're praying for and potentially have families over in, in that part of the world. And also, I think about the, the, the waggles there in, in Albania, and I think about them as a missionary family that when we were at Morgan's and Miss Judy Foster, that's her her family members, but when we were at Morgan's, they, we supported them. And with the Waggles, they're out there in Albania, and that's right in the same uh, region around Albania and Romania and, and Ukraine, and then, of course, Russia and Poland, uh, Poland to the, to the western side, Russia to the eastern side, and these countries to the south and the, and the west. And, and we see that, that this whole area is beginning to uh, flare up as it was once before when Russia dominated that, that particular position in the 80s and the 70s and the 80s. Well, I mean, even far back as, as I'm sure the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, but in my lifetime that it was under communist control by, by Russia as, as the, the uh, Soviet Union and that they'd gained their independence, but now 
it's it's being looked at to be taken again and dictatorship rise but again god is in control and all of the beautiful believers that are over in the ukraine right now that are gathered together that are praying for their nation and as we pray with them well, god is moving guys god is going to be that lion of judah and god is going to defend his children in this time i know this for certain so just keep praying for the ukraine guys and now let us get to the lord and his word as we read in john chapter number 11 verse number 17 we're going to be working our way down in this conversation with martha to verse number 27 and so the scripture goes now when jesus came he found that lazarus had already been in the tomb four days bethany was near jerusalem about two miles off now, by the way as a, as a side note i said seven miles yesterday here I discovered that it is only two miles off to the north. And so I, I have to stand corrected. The word of God corrected me, and I praise the Lord for that. But as Bethany was near Jerusalem and two miles off, we're in verse 19. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary re remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. <laughs> wow. I mean, powerful, powerful place of Scripture today. Let's go back to the very beginning and look at this from a position. There's, there's really two... A principal positions that are taken one is a position that i personally hold and that's a position that that martha is a little bit upset with jesus because she knows after all of the things that jesus has done and keep in mind martha would know more about the works of jesus than any of the rest of the people around because jesus was so close to this family he was he was a, a best friend with Lazarus, and he was very close to Martha and Mary. So you find that no doubt, often inside of their home, there would be these conversations. And of course, with the disciples, with the 12 apostles specifically speaking, that there would be a conversations about what Jesus had done as the disciples or those apostles would be talking about how he healed this person or how he raised up that lame man or how he you know did this or that or the other so the the truth behind this is is that she knows with certainty the authority of jesus over sickness the authority of jesus over demons the authority of jesus over all manner of of different difficulties of the nature of the flesh and so that she knows that if he would have been there 
If, if he would have come before the death of Lazarus, it would have been guaranteed that Lazarus wouldn't have died. And so when I see this, I see a position of an accusatory tone that she makes this accusation as a point like many of us have done when we have a loved one that's passed away. There is a place within the process of our grief that we may get angry with God, that we may be angry about not being able to do anything about the the loved one's illness, be angry that the only recourse that we had to hope that something could be done would be prayer, and thus when we prayed, it still didn't happen. So we're frustrated, we're, we're upset, and we're really just mad at God. And so that when our loved one dies, there's this accusation or accusatory tone that we may take with God that says, why weren't you there? Why didn't you answer my prayers? Why wouldn't you heal my loved one that they left me? And the reality is, is that when we step back from that moment and we think about it just for a minute, you know, those people who have gone on before us that are children of God are just as precious in God's heart as they are in our hearts. And I dare say even more so because of the price that God was willing to pay that we could have never paid, that we could never understand, that he would give his only begotten son in the place of our deaths so that we could receive his life and be saved from God's wrath through him. So when God takes a loved one, even a loved one of ours is also a loved one of his. And when he takes that loved one from this earth, it's because he's bringing them unto himself in the throne room of God. And so that he may, for the first time in, in all of that person's particular life, to be able to have fellowship face to face. And when you think about that in that manner, how dare we come with to God with an accusatory tone, with an accusation, right? Because just as precious as they are in our sight is as precious, if not more so, in God's sight. He said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. And the reason why the scripture says that is because that death allows God to give the freedom of the, the renewed man, the inward man that he saved, that he regenerated, that he transformed. And he's able to take that inward man from that body of death and flesh and deliver it from the pain and the suffering and the the, the, the corruption of the world into his glorious throne room. So really, we've got to keep a keen eye and perspective about what this death really is in this life, that we would actually be a people rejoicing over the loved ones that we have who have gone on before us, even though we mourn them at the loss of them in this life, but understanding the gain that they have received from the Father and understanding the gain that we have received in the, in the future connection that will be reestablished because of our faith in the Lord Jesus that will never be broken at that point because it then will be sealed of God in eternity. That's priceless. But a lot of people don't think that way. A lot of people don't see that way. But this is often why Jesus, when teaching his disciples throughout the Gospels and why in, 
to the churches in Revelation of chapters 2 and 3, that Jesus would say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. And Jesus would often say to his disciples, those who have eyes to see, let them see, and those who have ears, let them hear. It's because the eyes and the hearing often are the inputs that that bring us to thought, to thinking. And our thinking is often askew from what is reality because we're not thinking according to the heavenly things. We're thinking according to the material and earthly ways. And so our thinking would be off, which would cause our faith to be fragile. Yeah, well, we can change that, though. We can change that by the way in which we think. By the way, it's the science of epistemology. In case you were wanting to look something up, epistemology is dealing with the the way in which we think. It's dealing with the, the rationale, rationalism. It's dealing with empiricism, like we were talking about, the two major branches of epistemology that, that would be the rationalism or the empiricism of yesterday. But it all is summed up in the study of thought, which is epistemology. And so this is a very exciting uh, study. I would encourage people if they're looking into it. But this comes to the the thought processes of Martha at this point. And this is what we see in her is that when Jesus comes, she hears that he's coming and she takes off down the road. Well, you notice in verse number 19 that Mary or verse number 20, Mary just stays in the house. Mary's she doesn't take off down the road, but Martha takes off. Now, Mary shows us when she talks with Jesus, which we'll probably get into tomorrow, she shows us the gentle heart. She shows us the heart that is broken and hurting and tender. But I think that, just personal my thoughts here, that Martha shows us the warrior's heart. That Martha shows us that heart that is prepared to make accusation, prepared to fight, prepared to uh, get get angry and and just go to war because whereas Mary in verse number 20 you see her just remaining seated and of course Mary was the one of the tender heart that was washing the feet of Jesus when he come into that Pharisee's house that one time Mary Mary is often found as being the tenderness of of the heart of man she is found to be the the meek and lowly servant she's found to be what what Jesus would say to the church at Laodicea, I would rather that you were hot or cold. Mary would be recognized as that which was cold in Jesus's statement there to the church at Laodicea, whereas Martha would be found to be the hot. Martha is the one that was in the the kitchen preparing the meal. Martha was in the one washing the dishes and and toiling about the house and cleaning and then doing and then fussing at Mar- Mary saying, what are you you're not doing anything and Jesus said maybe you need to stop doing everything at that time when Mary was sitting at Jesus's feet as he was teaching and Martha was furious because you're supposed to be doing something and Jesus he he corrected her by saying no you need to stop we might want to think about that today as we as we carry on with this to verse 21 is that it's possible that we might be thinking that we need to do more, that we might need to do 
lots of things when the whole time Jesus is actually trying to get us to stop doing everything and just curl up by his feet for a moment. You might want to think about that. Now, verse number 21, we find that the scripture tells us, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> right there. I mean, she didn't wait for Jesus to come to the house as Mary knew as much as Martha knew that Jesus was on his way. But Mary was just content to wait for Jesus. Martha, nah, she's going to go find him. And when she finds him, she snaps this out. If you would have been here. Oftentimes when we are, are making this statement, we're making this statement in the accusatory frame. I know there's many a times that I've, I've said this to uh, troops that I was working with, rather in the missile complex or, or people uh, that I've, I've worked with before at church or people that have worked with me uh, before. And I've heard this said to me by parents, by other people. And I've said this to others. If you'd have been here, then what would follow, this would have gotten fixed or that would have gotten done or or we would have been able to finish faster, or we, we could have done more if you'd have been here. So this statement that is made here often is made in the accusatory simply because of the nature of, of what is coming from it. And, and the very point that she makes here is, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But what she doesn't understand is exactly who Jesus is, and yet she's going to discover that. And I think it's going to be life altering maybe it'll be life altering for us hey she goes on to say but even now i know that whatsoever you ask from god god will give you i know so this is a neat thing because this is the way in which she's going to essentially command i want my brother back because she says if you'd have been here he wouldn't have died but i know that you could ask God right now and that God would grant you this request. So I know that you and God have a great relationship. By the way, Martha could have a great relationship with God, but that's beside the point. She's not looking to the Father. She's looking to the Son. And she says, I know if you would ask God that he would give it to you. What we fail to remember is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Even in our modern day, even in our moments like right now, we fail to remember that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so we come to this position and Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Just as plain as simple. You're, I'm going to raise him up. Because remember, he'd already talked to his disciples and he said, let's go wake up Lazarus. He's sleeping. And the disciples are like, well, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. And Jesus said, no, you morons, you don't understand he's dead. But I'm going to go get him up. And so they all come with him. And so when he says to Martha, your brother will rise again, it's the very purpose by which Jesus came in the first place. But Martha, she's not listening. She's not taking in the word of the Lord. And by the way, this happens a lot in churches today. 
this happens a lot in our own lives today is that the message will be shared the scriptures will be read and we'll receive it from the skin surface we'll receive it at its face value but we won't internalize it we won't bring the word of god into our heart we just keep it right at the door of our senses and we say yeah that's great i'm glad god's there with me and then we go off and something bad happens and we say well god where have you been even though on Sunday we heard a message that said that God is with us, and we said, great, God is always with me. So this is the issue that it was not received inside of the heart, because if the knowledge of God being with me was received into my heart, then I know even in the times that got tough, even in the times where the trials and the tests came, and I was struggling through, that I would know that God was right there with me, because it would be in my heart, it would be internalized, that truth. But oftentimes, the Word of God is kept at the distance of our mind, not gone to our heart. We keep it at the distance of our senses and of the, the measure of our thinking instead of internalizing it into the very fabric of who we are so that when tragedy comes, because it's going to come, Jesus even promised that in John chapter number 16. He said that tribulation is going to come upon you, that these things... These horrible things like the, the the plans that may be in Putin's mind of Russia invading the Ukraine. These things are going to happen in this world. But then Jesus said, be of good cheer about it because I've overcome it. And, and it's so difficult if we keep things on the external and in the sensory side to be able to understand, well, how is this the will of God? How is this the power of God? In what way is God going to show us? His glory. I mean, the, the blind man, nobody could understand why that man was blind except for Jesus explaining that it was for the glory of God that he was going to do something amazing through him. The man at Bethesda, the glory of God, all of these different things that when we look at them from the sensory side of things, when we look at them from the flesh, we say, how can this be good? But then the greatest miracle happens through those things we think to be the, the worst the greatest miracles happen from those things. And and it's because we didn't understand God from our heart. So Mary is, is frustrated with Jesus because she hasn't received this in her heart. She's not allowing it to come into her. She's keeping it at the gate. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Who well, Martha comes back and says to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. I know that this is going to happen. I, I believe in the resurrection, uh, but what good is it going to do me today is, is a tag-along sentence that could come in the background or reading between the lines. You see, in this period of time, the only kind of occupation that a woman can have would be an ungodly one or a, a belittling one like prostitution, like our sister Mary was involved with until Jesus delivered her. You know, that the only hope that these sisters had is that they had a brother and that that brother had work and that they had an income to be able to survive off of. Well, now that income is gone. That brother is in the tomb. It's been four days and, and it's over. The, the hope that they have of being cared for, taken care of is is out the window and so what are we going to do mary's going to have to go back into prostitution for us to have some kind of money to be able to buy bread to eat i'm going to have to go into prostitution what are we going to do 
So you've got the situation where Martha makes the claim that she understands the resurrection is going to happen at the last day. But how is that going to benefit them now? She doesn't see that. And quite frankly, until we've read this whole account, and you've never read it before, you'd be with Martha on this, is that it? how is that going to help her today? Jesus, what's going to happen for her today? Well, here comes the two most beautiful scriptures. I read them often when giving eulogies and giving uh, funeral services. I absolutely love this place because often when our loved ones pass, we're kind of left with a, Mar- a Martha heart. Some may be Mary hearts, no doubt about that. But most, especially those closely uh, connected to this family member, are, are going to have Martha hearts because they're, there's just this, it just doesn't make sense. Death is something that just aggravates us. See, we weren't made for death. We were made for eternal life. And when corruption came in, death became an enemy that we'll never be able to understand, nor will we ever be able to accept it because it is an enemy to us. It was never meant for us. This is not the estate that we were ever supposed to be in. And this is the reason why Jesus came to die for us is so that he could reverse the process of of death and, and restore us unto that eternal life that we were meant to have from the beginning. So Jesus says in verse number 25, I am the resurrection and the life. One of the great I am's of the book of John. Now, we saw that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now we see I am the well of water in John chapter 4. And I am the light of the world in John chapter number 8. And I am the door in John chapter number 10. And we, we find this place. I am the resurrection and the life. There's no greater truth than these words that are being spoken by Jesus because this, this phrase, I am, if we look at it in his Hebrew context of Genesis, or rather Exodus, in chapter number four, when, when you come to the meeting of Moses with God and he tells him to lead his people out of Egypt and Moses says, well, who in the world do I tell him has sent me? We don't even know your name. And, and the Lord said, I am that I am. This, this phrase, I am, is the yod heh vav We call it, the, or the Hebrews call it the tetragrammaton of his name, the yod heh vav and we've tried to put uh, sound to it. We call it Jehovah in, in English, coming from a derivative of Jehovah in, in Greek or in Latin. But Yahweh, we hear also as concerning the Hebrew letters that are represented, and we add the vowel sounds in. But either way, when Jesus says, I am, he's saying Yahweh, the resurrection and the life. Yahweh, the door. Yahweh, the vine, Yahweh, uh, in, in all of these beautiful things, the water uh, welling up unto everlasting life, Yahweh, the bread of life, Yahweh. This is what Jesus is saying. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes in me, 
though he dies, yet shall he live. Now, this is concerning Lazarus, but it's also concerning anybody else. Do you believe? For a promise is made that, that even in this life, if you pass away before the time of the resurrection, that you will be raised up again at the last day. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about over in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 13. And going down to verse 18, he said that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive are, and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds of the air evermore to be with the Lord. So we understand that even in this life, if we pass away before we hear that trumpet sound, that we are going to be raised again. There's no question about it. Because he made that promise to us. But, but do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? And I'm asking this question regularly here through these chapters. I started asking this question as far back as chapter 4. Do you truly believe in Jesus? Well, he, he already talked to the guys over in John chapter number 5, the, the Pharisees, right? And he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. So you find this position where there are so many people that think that they're going to heaven rather by their religious connection or rather by the sacraments that they've kept or rather by the, the, the different things that they're doing or just in the idea that they're pretty good people. A lot of people think that they're going to heaven, but they're not going through the door. They're trying to get up some other way. For God established a door. God established a gate to the entrance of heaven. And His, his name is Yeshua. Salvation. His name is Jesus as we speak it in English, his name is, is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. His name is, is I Am, and he is right here, and he's proclaiming that, that I am the resurrection and the life. But do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Have you received his grace, the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you received his pardon, his forgiveness, and his mercy as throwing yourself at his feet and crying out for that forgiveness. Do you believe him? Well, Martha said that she did. And Jesus puts her into a challenge. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, this is a very tough situation that Martha faces, but a very tough situation that we face in this moment as well. Because this deals with us, and this deals with Martha, and this deals with Mary, and this deals with Lazarus, and this deals with our children, and anyone who comes, comes after us for certain that are alive and remain. We've got to come to this place. We've got to answer this question. And it's so complicated and it's so difficult to have to face because of what is the reality of this question. That everyone, now try to find an exclusion in that word, everyone who lives, that would mean all of the people on the face of the planet in this moment. Now, I understand at the time that Jesus was talking to Martha, but this word is still alive in this moment. This word that God has given to us in, in the Bible is still as, as evident and true as from the mouth of Jesus himself as it was to Martha. It is to us. And we've got to face this. 
we've got to make this consideration in our own heart in this very moment that everyone who lives, and that's us right now, connected together in this moment, everyone who lives and believes in me. Now, not everyone who lives believes in Jesus. There are plenty of people that are in the flesh on the face of this planet dwelling in that body of death that that have no concern or care or things don't doesn't even bother them about the Lord at all. And so that we find that there is a distinction between those who believe and those who do not believe. For as we understand that those who do not believe are going to face a judgment and a fiery trial and be cast into the lake of fire ultimately at the end of all things. But for those who do believe, those who are alive right now and believe in Jesus shall never die. In other words, you can't die. Now, I've said that several times. I've said it in church. I've said it in probably just about every church I've ever served. You can't die. Most people look at me and they think I'm a nut because people are passing away every day. The obituary is is the most read part of the, any newspaper in the nation, I'm sure, in the world. And, and it's usually the fullest part of the newspaper. But note the fact that I said that people don't necessarily die, but people do pass away. And the reason why is because death is not a physical attribute. The, the ceasing of this body and the way in which its systems and organs will shut down is certainly a, a passing, a passing from this flesh unto that, that spirit that, we, that is our inward man apart from this body, as we would see John writing Revelation. The Apostle Paul talks about a person in the third heaven. There, there are a lot of different moments where we see people who are not in that body of death. The inward man is taken from that body of death for the purpose that God has to reveal a, a truth that he has given. So we understand that, that this body is not necessary for us to have life, but this body is necessary for us to be able to connect with the world around us, to connect with the environment and the nature that God has given us. And so when this body passes away, then our spirit is removed from it and delivered under the throne room of God, awaiting the opportunity in the resurrection to receive a new body that is fashioned in perfection so that we may once more experience the glory of heaven with the senses that God had created for us to have. But until that day, we are separated from this body of death. And so the believer cannot die. It cannot die. Now let this give you courage if you're facing the axe. Let it give you courage if you're facing the rope. Let it give you courage if you're dealing with some kind of minor persecution, being mocked, being laughed at, being bullied as it was in, the, in our nation and, and, and threatened and all these other things. Let this moment give you courage. A loved one has passed away at, at just recently. Let this read, these words written in red, let this testify to you. Let this testimony that Jesus is speaking comfort you and 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 really grip you is that those who have gone on before shall rise again and those who are alive in this moment 
shall never die. Then Jesus says to her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? <laughs> oh, Martha does speak. And in verse 27, Martha says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, meaning that she said, I believe you are Messiah. She says, I believe that you are the Son of God, which is a step up from Messiah. And I believe that you are the one that was promised who's coming into the world. Yes. I believe in you. Now, that's a huge difference from believing in him in this point of resurrection, though. She believes in him for what he has claimed himself to be. And she has accepted that claim. And she is believing in him. But she is still battling the strength of the frustration and anger that is inside of her because of the separation that has abruptly been caused by the death of Lazarus. And she believes that Jesus is Messiah. She believes that Jesus is the Son of God. She said, if you ask the Father anything, I know that he'll grant it to you. She believes that he's the Son of God. She knows that he's come into the world. She's standing right in front of him. But it still doesn't address the issue in her heart concerning the resurrection. And so when Jesus said, do you believe this? He spoke directly about the resurrection and she didn't answer that one. She answered everything around it. The potential of the, the authority of it. But she never answered that question. Now, we love the answers that she gave, don't we? I mean, we love the idea that she acknowledges him as Messiah. And we love the idea that she acknowledges that the Messiah is the Son of God. And that she acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God. We love the idea that she acknowledges his coming into the world. She, that, that she has such a faith that she sees Jesus in this light. But what we fail to see in this moment is that she does not answer the question as concerning the resurrection and the life. She doesn't answer that. And Jesus has a broken heart from it. And so uh, tomorrow, Friday, we're going to get into verse number 28 because remember what I told you yesterday when it said that, that Jesus comes to Martha and that Jesus comes to Mary and that Jesus comes to Lazarus. Well, we just saw the conversation with Martha. Now, in verse number 28, we're going to come to the position where Jesus comes to Mary. And that's going to be happening tomorrow. And then we're going to see the situation of the raising of Lazarus. And so I just want to encourage you to think about how you believe in Jesus. And to what extent you believe in Jesus. And, and to if, if indeed the very core of your inward man, woman as a female, but your inward man is, is in, in collaboration, in faith, in just raptured by God in this moment. Or you just need to be saved one or the other. Just think on these things. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking your blessing be upon us as we consider the truth, searching the scriptures. In them we believe ourselves that we have eternal life. And indeed, they 
regularly testify of our Lord Jesus in every way. So let us come to faith in Christ if we have not and receive your glory this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care, guys.